you've got to look at why you're doing it. If you've got a startup, there are a number of bases upon which you can restructure that startup and it's not going to attract any undue attention. But if you're doing it for a means of obtaining a tax benefit, then you need to be really careful about how you document it and how you're documenting your reasoning and what is it that you're thinking about because part four A lurks and, and, and what I'm really saying is the tax office is aware of those arrangements. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. Welcome to episode 247 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. When it comes to asset protection and parking profits, you have two popular structures to choose from, bucket company or holding company. And we've spoken about the bucket company before. When you use a bucket company, you have the trading company owned by a family trust and then separate to the side, if you imagine this on a piece of paper, separate to the side, you have another company, the bucket company, held by a different discretionary trust. And then any dividends the trading company pays to the family trust are then distributed to the bucket company. And then the bucket company either lends the money back to the trading company or invests it or when the time is right, pays a dividend to its shareholder, the discretionary trust, who then distributes it to the relevant beneficiaries. So that is the first option. And that is the option we discussed in detail in episode 210 with Jeff Steen. The second option is to just move a second company between the trading company and the family trust. So you don't have a separate company plus discretionary trust on the side, but instead you just insert another company between the trading company and the family trust. So the trading company is then held by a holding company and then the family trust sits on top of that. So with the second option, you still have two companies but you only have one trust and one corporate trustee, not two, as in the first option. Apart from this minor detail at first sight, the two structures seem to have the same outcome. With both, you can park profits in the holding or bucket company. With both, you can invest the money you hold in the bucket or holding company and have it ring-fenced from creditors. And with both, you can lend it back to the trading company and all this is ring-fenced from the trading company's creditors. And with both, you can distribute through the trust when the time is right. So the question is, is there any difference between the two options apart from the number of trusts and corporate trustees? Which one should you go for? Here's Jeff Steen of Brownright Steen Lawyers in Sydney. feeling is that the result is basically the same. You can then still use the holding company like a bucket company. That's true. Don't forget, though, if you have a holding company and you want to sell the shares in the trading company, you don't get the benefit of the capital gains tax discount, the general discount. But apart from that, just looking at the asset protection structuring, yeah, that works quite neatly. So that means if you wanted to sell the shares in the trading company, you would have to empty out the holding company so that you have nothing else there but the shares in the trading company and then have the family trust sell the shares in the holding company and then the family trust would qualify for the CGT discount. Correct. Very quick question on the side. 
does it have any implications when one shareholder of the corporate trustee sells or transfers their shares to the other shareholder of the corporate trustee? Does that have any implications, even, for example, if there is a profit distribution from the trading company into the family trust, so now the family trust is holding cash, does it matter if those shares of the corporate trustee are transferred from one shareholder to the other? Yes, so generally no. As a general rule, and particularly in the structure you're describing, the corporate trustee will be a $2 company. It doesn't have any assets in its own right, and it only holds the shares in the holding company here on behalf of the trust. So there's no beneficial interest or no value in that. So, so there shouldn't be any stamp duty consequence and there shouldn't be any capital gains tax consequence. However, and this is where you need to be really careful, if the trust owns land and you need to be extra careful that stamp duty does not apply to a change of shares in a trustee company, and that, you know, whether it's in Queensland or in some cases New South Wales where it's land rich, you need to be extra careful about that. But in the vanilla case that we're talking about, the trust is only holding shares in a holding company for an operating business and there's no relevant land that we need to consider, you're absolutely clean to go. But if you just have a pure trust situation and the trust owns land, then you have to be really careful to transfer the shares of the corporate trustee. Yes. advantage of the holding company is basically the same as with the bucket company. You have the trading company distribute to the trust and the trust distributes to the bucket company and then the bucket company can loan the money back to the trading company and hence you have a loan between two companies, hence no division 7A. The same basically applies to the holding company. If the trading company distributes a dividend to the holding company, pays the dividend, and then the holding company lends the money back to the trading company, then you have asset protection and you don't have any division 7A issue because you just have a loan between two companies, correct? Correct. Is there any reason why you would choose one structure over the other? So is there any reason that you would choose a holding company that is squeezed in the middle over a bucket company that sits to the side? It's largely around how are you trading generally and what are you going to do? And so I'm relatively comfortable with that structure. One of the things that you've got to be careful about with the asset protection side is that there's a provision in the Corporations Act that can make a holding company liable for the debts of its subsidiaries in certain circumstances. When the Patrick Stevedoring case came up, so it was a, an insolvent administration and it was run in the late 1990s, in essence, Pat, what Patrick Stevedoring did was decide that they had issues around liabilities for workers' comp and tail liabilities for uh, employees. And so they came up with a scheme which was to try and shift those liabilities and shift the employment of particular individuals into separate companies, all the while trying to protect the holding company. And that scheme was successful, notwithstanding the vociferous protests from the union movement. And the response of the government, and bear in mind, this is the Howard government that undertook this response, even though only some of the politicians were... You know, Peter Reith in particular were, were hand in hand with the um, company. 
but they introduced provisions into the Corporations Act which impose upon a holding company a similar test for insolvency, you know, trading while insolvent, as is imposed upon a director. It's not identical, but it's similar concepts. So that is, if directors of a holding company or a holding company permits a subsidiary to continue to trade while it's insolvent without providing financial support, then the assets of that holding company are at risk. And so if you're contemplating a structure like that and, and you're looking at that level of sophistication, you might pause briefly and say, is a holding company going to be the best vehicle? There's nothing to stop you. You know, if you have the, you get the same Division 7A outcome by having a discretionary trust, having a bucket company, and then having that bucket company lend back to the trading company because the bucket company can't have that liability. If you want to do funny things with your obligation as an employer, etc., then have a bucket company on the side rather than a holding company. But if you are operating straightforward, <laughs> then it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I'm going to say it's about risk. And it's, it's simply saying rather than I was giving you the example as to how the law got changed. The impact of that law is there are certain circumstances where a holding company can be liable for the debts of its subsidiaries. And okay. if you're being extra cautious, you would not use the holding company, trading company direct. You would use trading company, discretionary trust or family trust, bucket company, family trust. And I think it's probably fair to say the paranoid are more going to be more attracted to that than the less paranoid. Bucket company includes less risk than just a pure stacking of companies and putting a whole Correct. company into the middle. Correct. If you wanted to have an investment trust, but you already held some investments in your own hand, you would incur CGT by transferring the individual assets into the investment trust. Correct. You need to think about though, For example, if the investment asset is the premises from which the business is being run, then you may get small business concessions in doing that transfer. Yes, and then it actually might make sense because then if you are growing or the value of the land is growing and you will soon outlive the six million threshold, then it might make sense. It makes sense for a lot of reasons. So that reason mm -hmm. and also asset protection and if it's say that it's not an investment trust or it might be this, uh, you might have a super fund underneath it. There, there could be all sorts of reasons why that's a sensible thing to do. There is a, a plan that sometimes gets promoted, which is let, I own shares in a trading company. What happens if I sell the shares to a holding company? And if you're selling it, you need to value the shares because you'll still be subject to capital gains tax on that sale. It's possible small business concessions may apply, but you've, you've actually got to go through the process of working that out. And then you've got to be very careful to make sure you're doing it for a proper reason and a proper commercial reason. And a commercial reason might be that you might be looking to have other investors or you might be looking to divisionalize in some way. Is asset uh, protection a commercial reason? Asset protection is a commercial reason if it's asset protection plus. So merely looking at this structure doesn't do it. But if you thinking about having another subsidiary sitting alongside by side then you are creating an asset protection structure and that would work 
but quite often it's, it's for employee share plans or it's to enable other investors or to do other things you, you might want to clean skin at a holding company level. Okay, but just purely asset protection, just to say there are no investors on the horizon, there are no employee shares coming, there's nothing coming, I just feel more comfortable yes. if I don't hold the shares directly, I yes. I'm being held by a holding company and then putting a family trust over it. So just pure asset protection doesn't... Well, the, the tax office won't necessarily regard that as being a sufficient commercial reason to get around the anti-avoidance rules in Part 4A. So yes, you would say this is what it's being done, but you would want to be very careful about documenting those commercial reasons and why the asset protection benefits the primary mover and not the tax benefits. And the reason you've got to be careful about that is that what happens is the tax benefit that you can obtain is effectively getting around Division 7A for a significant period. So if you imagine that you've got a business and you can justify a value of a million dollars and you're below the small business concession threshold so that you can do a sale of the shares without paying any tax on selling those shares into a holding company, then as and when the company pays, the trading company pays a dividend to the holding company, before that holding company pays a dividend to its shareholders, could be the family trust, it's able to repay the loan, a vendor finance loan, to get that million dollars out. So it's a, you know, essentially creating a Division 7A dodge. And that's what the tax office is looking out for in those types of arrangements. And that's why you've got to be really, really careful about the way you implement it. So it's not enough to just value the shares at accurate market value and then paying CGT on the uh, transfer? That's not enough. You've got to look at why you're doing it. If, if it. if you've got a startup, there are a number of bases upon which you can restructure that startup and it's not going to attract any undue attention. But if you're doing it for a means of obtaining a tax benefit, then you need to be really careful about how you document it and how you're documenting your reasoning and what is it that you're thinking about because part four I learnt and, and, and what I'm really saying is the tax office is aware of those arrangements. So you use certain forks in the road to change your structure. Don't change it in the middle of the flight. Exactly. Welcome back. So three learnings, and these are just based on my understanding. Please check all this with Jeff Steen before you do anything. Learning number one, it is easier for creditors to attack a holding company than it is to attack a bucket company that just sits on the side. So if you want to play it really safe, go for a bucket company held by a separate discretionary trust. Learning number two, change your structure when you have a commercial reason to do so. For example, to bring another shareholder in. Don't change it just for tax reasons. And learning number three, the transfer of shares in a corporate trustee has no implications apart from that the shareholders have changed, obviously, as long as the trust is clear of two things. Number one, if the trust directly or indirectly holds land, then a change in corporate trustee shareholders can trigger CGT and stamp duty. So as long as your trust doesn't hold land, changing the corporate trustee shareholders is fine. And number two, if the change in corporate trustee shareholders also meant a change in beneficiaries, and it usually doesn't, but it is possible that your trustee makes this link and says, Only shareholders can be beneficiaries or all shareholders are beneficiaries or something like this. If that was the case, 
if your trust deed included such a clause, then the change in beneficiaries through the change of corporate trustee shareholders could trigger a trust resettlement. Because as you might know, since commercial nominees to avoid triggering a resettlement, a trust needs continuity of three things, the terms of the trust, trust assets, and trust beneficiaries. So as long as the change in shareholders doesn't mean a change in beneficiaries, you are fine. You can change the shareholders of your corporate trustee without any legal repercussions. But please check all this with your lawyer. In the next episode, episode 248, Jeff Steen will talk about New South Wales land tax. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.